Well, it's lovely. It's really good to be here. It's a while since I've um, been able to speak here on a Sunday, on the Lord's Day, so it's fantastic um, to be here. Uh, it's uh, uh, really good. Um, is it possible to get that off, John? The kind of, oh, there it is. Gone. Perfect. Fantastic. So it's great to, uh, to be here on a Sunday. I've been, as you know, mid- midweek, we, we did that kind of apologetics uh, series uh, in terms of Christians and culture, um, and uh, hopefully we'll be continuing continuing that. And um, so, it's Pe- so it's Pentecost Sunday today, as you can see behind me. There it is. That's the title that I've been given, Life in the Spirit. Uh, and actually, in the liturgical year, uh, it's Pentecost Sunday. I know we don't all keep that, but a lot of the church, a lot of Christians around the world uh, today is, in fact, uh, Pentecost Sunday. And um, I, uh, the three great festivals of the church's year are, of course, Christmas, Easter, and Pentecost, I believe. And uh, Christmas is um, God with us, uh, Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, Easter is God for us, God dying in our place for our sin that we might know God. And Pentecost is God in us, uh, God living in us by his Holy Spirit. So uh, it's fantastic that it's, it's Pentecost uh, Sunday uh, today. And uh, one of the things is, I know as a church, we, if I could say we, can I use the, the we? Yeah, there we go, kind of honorary, honorary member, my home church away from home. Um, as, a, as, a, as a church, we aspire to be a word and spirit church. And there are some churches that are more word than spirit, um, and some churches are more spirit than word. But we want to hold the two in that creative biblical tension and be a word and spirit church. And... Um, uh, in terms of being kind of word and spirit, uh, I don't know whether you can see from the back, I'm wearing this uh, T-shirt that is just, uh, it's, like a, it's like a road. It's just like one of these roads in Australia, a long, uh, a long road that goes on for years. For, for, um, what have I just said? I, I thought you looked like a frog. Oh, you thought, right, okay. Yeah, yeah. No. Uh, okay. I must. I must. I must. No expand. Anyway, yeah, no, it's not a bra. It's a, it's a, see what you want to see, you know. It's a product of where you're coming from, maybe. But anyway, no. So, uh, no, but it's, it's a road. You know one of these roads in America or Australia? Yeah, that goes on, that goes on and on. Anyway, the word and the spirit, the word and the spirit is, it's a bit like a car and a track. So you imagine the track or the road. Um, the, the word is like the road. It, it, gives us that, uh, uh, it gives us that security. The word of God, the scriptures, it gives us uh, that objective truth that keeps us on track. Uh, but, the, but the spirit is like the car. That's the, the engine, the power that takes us along. And we need um, both the car and the track. Uh, but if we've got the car without the track, we'll get lost in the outback. We've got the car, if we've got the car without the track, the spirit without the word, we'll get lost in the outback. Uh, we'll end up in some kind of weird mysticism that we're not on track. But equally, if we've got the track without the car, we won't get far. So if we've got the track, the word without the spirit, then we're not going to get very far. So we need uh, the car and the track. We need uh, the word and the spirit. Now, some of you, that might be all you needed to hear today. So you could, you know, that was it. You know, perhaps some of you might remember that for a long time. That's great. You could switch off. Uh, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you so choose. But uh, we, are, we aspire to be a word and a spirit church. Christians who believe in the track and the car. The track, the scriptures, the word of God, 
and the car, the powerhouse that uh, enables us to live the Christian life. But we're thinking today particularly um, about life um, in the Spirit, and um, we're going to do a, a study in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 to 16. And Jill, you're going to come and read that for us, aren't you? So uh, here's the passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. One Corinthians uh, uh, chapter two, verses one to sixteen, and Jill's going to just read that for us. Yeah, thank you. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom amongst the mature, but not the wisdom of the age or the rulers of this age who, come, who are coming with nothing, nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God denied for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things of God have prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God, for who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received, we, what we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who, God, who is from God so that we may understand what God has freely given us. For this is what we speak, not with words taught by human wisdom, but the words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities, the Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord so that as to instruct them? But we have the mind of Christ. Amen. Great. Thank, Thank, you, Thank you so much. Uh, Thank you so much, Jill. So some of you know uh, we live in Oxford. Here's a little uh, map of where we are. We're west of Oxford, near this place, South Lee. Uh, at the moment. Uh, but I've been living in and around Oxford on and off for a few years. This is a photo of me on my ordination day, actually. Uh, slightly youngish and sort of reddish hair. And this is the guy that ordained me, Lord Harry's of Oystermouth, I think his, his, uh, his name is. Lord Harry's was the Bishop of Oxford. And uh, when he ordained me uh, 26 years ago now, 20, 27? No, 27 years ago, when he ordained me in Oxford Cathedral, we all had to go on a retreat uh, prior to getting revved up. And I remember we, we, were, all, we were all there, uh, uh, about to get ordained, 
And the bishop, who's a bit of a distant, austere figure, the, the Bishop of Oxford, he, he said to the ordinands, as we were called, he said, oh, I'm here if any of you need me. That's what he said, I'm here if any of you need me. Anyway, I got ordained, uh, served at a parish in High Wycombe, and shortly after I was ordained, I was preaching at a place called Wantage. Um, and I got, basically, I headed from High Wycombe into Wantage, which is in the outskirts of Oxford. And I was in my little curate mobile, which is this. I just bought my first ever car, which is this little Austin Metro, this curate mobile. And I remember I got completely lost. These were the days before SatNav. And all I had was Greg Nav. And uh, Tammy would tell you, Greg Nav was a disaster. Anyway, so, uh, so basically, uh, I, I literally got completely, uh, completely lost and uh, pre-SatNav, and uh, I didn't know where I was. And I ended up actually in uh, North Hinksey, which is just, just south of Oxford in the centre, miles away from where I was supposed to be to preach at this carol service um, in Wantage. And then, wor worst of all, I noticed the dial on my little curate mobile, bing, bing, was going empty. It was, it was, I'd run out of petrol. I thought, you know, I was freaking out. I was late. I was late for the carol service. Uh, didn't know where I was. Well, I found out I was in completely the wrong place in South Oxford. That I was running out of petrol. So I immediately sort of patted my... Um, uh, trouser pocket where I kept my wallet, and of course I'd come out without my wallet. So I'd run out of petrol, I was without wallet. But I remember Lord, but the Bishop of Oxford had his office, the diocesan offices were there in North Inksky. And so I basically drove into the diocesan offices there, and my clerical collar on, and I walked up to um, the reception, and there was a lady on the, the P, a PA, or she was on reception, I said, uh, can I see the Bishop of Oxford, please? Because um, his office was upstairs, and she said, uh, have you got an appointment? And I said, no. I said, could you just buzz through, please? Tell him it's the curate of Hazelmere. He'll see me. And um, so she looked at me somewhat bemused. And so she, she uh, pressed the button and she said, oh, Bishop, uh, she said, it's the curate of Hazelmere. Uh, he's not got an appointment, but he says you will see him. Uh, so basically, uh, I heard the bishop say, send him up. So, uh, so off, off I went up. I was 27 at the time. Went in the Bishop of Oxford's office. He swung around in his chair. And I said, Bishop, I said, I just got lost. I'm on the way to a carol service. I've run out of petrol. And you did say... Uh, that I, you were here if ever we needed you. Can I, can I have £10, please? And um, anyway, the bishop gave me a tenner. And, and I used it as an illustration when I arrived late for the carol service. And it actually got in the Daily Telegraph. I don't know how. It, it went to the, what, what, the Wantage Gazette. And then it ended up in the Daily Telegraph uh, saying, uh, lost curate uh, gets a tenner from his bishop. They put it in the... <laughs> I found I knew that because head, my headmaster from my school in Lancaster wrote to me to say he'd seen me in this day, the Daily Telegraph. But anyway, uh, I basically you know, ran out of fuel. I ran out of power. And do you know, I think that's a common problem for many of us in the church today, powerlessness. We, we're actually running on empty. I really believe that. Many of us as Christians, we are running on empty, if we're honest, if we're honest. We're running low of, of fuel. Some of us maybe feel we've run out. We've run out of fuel. Um, and we find it hard sometimes to identify with the spirit-filled life that is set out for us in the book of Acts. It seems there's a huge gulf between the spirit-filled life that we see exemplified in the story of the early church post the day of Pentecost and our experience in the church today. And, and that's those of us who go to charismatic churches, forget the kind of liberal churches or the high church or whoever else we, we might want to think is, is not cutting the ice. This is, the, these are, this is within the charismatic world, the, the kind of the so-called spirit-filled 
churches. There's often a disparity between what we read and what we experience. Um, and the question for us when we have that disparity, are we going to doubt God or somehow just resign ourselves to our Christian lives that are somewhat sub the experience that we see there in the pages of Scripture? And not just the pages of Scripture. When we read about the history of revivals, when we read about the great saints of old like John Wesley or George Whitfield or um, you know, whoever, whoever, it, whoever it might be. Uh, or do we actually seek God that, that he might bridge the gap, uh, that by his grace we might live more normative Christian lives? And I take it that the New Testament offers what should be a, a, the, the more normative experience for the church. So it's Pentecost uh, Sunday, uh, kept by um, much of the church around the world today. And that, re- that, of course, remembers the day of Pentecost in the Acts of the Apostles, which is the day when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the people of God. The fulfillment of the, the prophet Joel, uh, when Joel promised, he prophesied there would come a day when the Holy Spirit wouldn't just be on particular people at particular times for particular tasks, but the Holy Spirit would be poured out on all flesh, on all people, all those, that is to say, who dare to call upon the name of the Lord, all those who name uh, Jesus Christ as their God. And Jesus um, uh, prophesies this himself. He says, you'll receive power, he says to his disciples, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be uh, my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. Now, it's an entirely different sermon, but there's this connection between power and witness, between receiving the power of the Holy Spirit and being his, his witnesses. And we know that this prophecy of Jesus was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. We can read it in Acts chapter 2, when we're told that the Holy Spirit uh, fell upon those early disciples like tongues of fire. Uh, now, any, any fans of the Lego Bible? Any, has anyone seen the Lego Bible? You've not seen the Lego Bible? Has no one seen the Lego Bible? <laughs> It's the Bible in Lego format, and it goes all through, all through it. And um, basically, they, what they do is they create different scenes from the Bible in Lego. And uh, oh, you must get it. It's great fun. Anyway, this is the Lego Bible version of the day of Pentecost. And uh, there they all are. I don't think it was like that. I don't think this particularly captures it very well. But anyway, this is the Lego uh, Bible. But you'll receive power, says Jesus, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So the Holy Spirit is connected with power. So it's interesting when I meet Christians who say, oh, uh, the Holy Spirit can fill us and it can be imperceptible. I've, has anyone, have you heard anyone say that, that the Spirit can fill us to overflowing, but it can be imperceptible? You know, in other words, we might not know it. But that wasn't the experience of these early Christians, uh, was it? It didn't seem to be imperceptible to them. It seemed to be perceived. It seemed to be tangible in some way. And that word, when the Holy Spirit, uh, you will receive power, says Jesus, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, that word power... Uh, the Greek word is dunamis, and it's of the same etymological root as the word uh, dynamite. There it is, dunamis, uh, short definition, might, power, marvelous works. So Jesus says that you receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. Might, um, power, uh, marvelous, marvelous works. So it seems as if for Jesus this wasn't an imperceptible thing. And I just wonder, when we talk about the Spirit filling his church in an imperceptible way, is that not just us letting ourselves off the hook? Are we not just saying, oh, well, actually, 
that, you know, the spirit of God is with us in great power, but we don't seem to experience it in very extraordinary ways. Who's read, I bet loads of you who've read, back in the day, The Cross and the Switchblade. Cross and the Switchblade, it was kind of, I know those of you who've been a Christian a long time. This was an amazing guy. David Wilkerson was a Pentecostal pastor. He did amazing work in New York, led this man to Christ, Nicky Cruz, who's still alive. Nicky Cruz, doing, still an evangelist and doing amazing work. He was a kind of gangster that was part of a gang group uh, in, in, in Manhattan. And um, before, he, before he died um, a few years ago, David Wilkerson ran a church. His last assignment was he was the pastor of Times Square Revival Church in Manhattan. I used to go there when I was, I, there was a time I used to go to, the, to, to New York particularly, at least once, once a year. And I'd go to Times Square Revival Church. I had the privilege of meeting David uh, Wilkerson. Anyway, in his book, the cross, this is a quotation from The Cross and the Switchblade, um, but I think it's an amazing quotation. David Wilkerson, uh, he says this. He says, when you uh, strip it of everything else, Pentecost stands for power and life. That's what came into the church when the Holy Spirit came down on the day of Pentecost. Power and life. I visit some churches occasionally, occasionally usually when I'm on, if I'm on holiday, not, not that the ones that I get invited to tend to be pretty dynamic, but uh, if, I, if I randomly, if we're on holiday and we randomly just go, go to our local, local church, sometimes I don't encounter power and life. It seems that there's a deadness and an impotence. And uh, this, 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 is, this is not this church. There's power and life in this church, and that's fantastic. We thank God for that. But my recommendation, I put it on my Facebook today, I'm probably going to get in trouble again. I said, if your church is impotent and dead, run a mile. That's what I put on my Facebook, so I'll probably get told off uh, for saying that again, but never mind. Because that is not, that's, that's a sign that the Holy Spirit is not in the church uh, as God intended, if the church is dead and impotent. Because as Wilkerson says, power and life is supposed to characterize it. So anyway, let's look at the passage today, an amazing passage that Jill has just read for us and draw out one or two principles. So one of the signs of uh, the life of the Spirit in the, in, the, um, in, the, in the experience of the Apostle Paul, who was writing these amazing words, is the Apostle Paul, when he shared the gospel, it wasn't with human eloquence, but was with divine power. That is Paul's boast in the Lord, so to speak. He says this, in fact, verse 4. He said, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And that word demonstration in the Greek, it literally means to prove as if in a court of law. So the image that Paul uh, uh, invokes is is a court of law. And in a court of law, you present proof to establish something. So what Paul is saying, you know, my, my message, my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, uh, but rather, he says, with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So the Spirit's power is manifest, and this presents evidence as if in a court of law that God is, that God is real. And I can't read these verses without being reminded of a particular episode when I was a prison chaplain a, a few years ago, a good few years ago now, I was the chaplain of a prison just outside Bristol. It was a young offender's prison. And there was one particular evening, it was, um, it was um, about seven o'clock in the evening, and I was visiting 
what's called in a prison the segregation unit. And the segregation unit is where people are kept either because they've been particularly bad or, or sometimes they're kept there for their own protection because they're being bullied on the main wing. And uh, so I was, I was doing the rounds of this segregation unit, but to be honest, in a fairly perfunctory way because I was wanting to get home. And, uh, but by law, the chaplain had to visit the segregation unit in the hospital. So that was, those, were, they were, those were called the statutory requirements that are required by law. Anyway, so I went around the segregation unit, put my keys in, my own keys, put my keys in the big iron doors and said, hey, how are you doing? To you know, some young offender that I knew already. And he went, yeah, yeah, fine, all right, boss, he'd say. And I said, okay, yeah, cheers. And then anyway, so I was doing this, just checking in literally for a few seconds with each. But if there was somebody new, I wouldn't just check in for a few seconds. I'd actually sit down and introduce myself. So I put my keys in the door. There was a, a young guy who was new in the segregation unit. I'd not met him before. Turns out his name was John. And I said, how are you doing? He said, yeah, yeah, all right. And I uh, pulled up a chair, plastic chair. He was sat on his bed. I was sat on the plastic chair in my clerical collar as the, as the padre, as the chaplain. And he said to me, um, he'd not long been in uh, the prison. And I said this to him. I said, John, who's at home for you? question that I often asked um, and I deliberately said who's at home for you because most of these guys were from homes where uh, they didn't have both both biological parents in fact I could count on one hand the number of guys young offenders who were from a home where both biological parents were together so I said who's at home for you and he said nobody uh, he said my mum she uh, he said she gave me um, she gave me up to live with my grandparents when I was quite young I live with my grandparents and my granddad is now dead that's what he said. It was a kind of a pretty clipped comment. Now, at that point, a word of knowledge got dropped into my spirit. So Mark already talked about a word of knowledge, which is mentioned in Corinthians that Mike gave earlier, which is a, is a kind of prophecy. Um, but I guess a word of knowledge is knowledge that you haven't learned by rational means. So you've not learned it. You, you don't know it through reading it or being told it. It's, it's knowledge that's dropped into your spirit that you couldn't possibly know. It's a word of knowledge. So I, I, I felt God drop a word of knowledge into my mind at that point. So I said, when this guy said, my granddad's just dead, I said, yeah, he died when you were 14, didn't he? Now, at this, this, at this, at this point, this young guy, he, he got interested in the conversation before he was not really engaged. And uh, he basically said, uh, how do you know that? Well, I, did, I didn't know it rationally. I just sensed it from God as a word of knowledge. And then he said, he said um, have you been speaking to my mum? And I said, I said, no. And then he said, have you read my wing file? Because apparently there was some stuff that was on his wing. There's a, a file that doctors and psychologists and chaplains could write, write on when they visited the young offender. And I said, no, I've not read your wing file. Then he said, are you psychic? And I said, no. Uh, and then he said, did God tell you? And I went, well, yeah, he did actually. I got slightly bashful in a sort of Anglican type way. I said, well, I think, I think he did actually. And then uh, the, the story came out and he said this. He said that uh, he, he, he grew up with his, with his, his parents and uh, he said his, his, his grandparents looked after him. And he said his grandparents were the only ones who loved him. And particularly, he bonded with his grandfather. And his grandfather had died um, when he was uh, on, his, on his 14th birthday. And uh, so, was, so basically, you know, when, his dad, when he said, my granddad's dead, and I said, yeah, he, he died when you were 14, didn't he? And he said, yeah, he died on his 14th birthday. And the reason this was on his wing file is that a, he told a psychologist this. And this had been the tipping point when he'd gone off the rails because the one person who he loved died on his 14th birthday and he went off the rails then. So he told the psychologist and she'd written this down in the wing file. And so God had revealed this by a word of knowledge. Anyway, so I said to him, uh, I shared the gospel with him. He wanted to give his life to Christ. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And as I was leaving the prison, I said to him, John, just out of interest, why, why did you become a Christian tonight? And he said this, and I'll never forget it. He said this. He said, well, if God spoke to you like that, that proves what you said is true. And, uh, and it immediately reminded me of this verse. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. In other words, to prove as if in a court of law. This, was, this kid didn't know anything about that. This was theology from the ground up. This kid was saying this prophetic word, this word of knowledge, proved the truth, the veracity of what I told him, which was the gospel. So he acted upon the gospel and gave his life to Christ. The Spirit is the key to revelation. So the Holy Spirit in us gives us revelation. It says, look, the Spirit in us, this is the Holy Spirit, who is God, by the way. The Holy Spirit is the person of God. He's not a power or a force. He is God. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows, for who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Um, what we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God so that we may understand what God has freely given us. Who knows uh, a person's thoughts except their own spirit? So what a, what a word of knowledge is doing is revealing uh, something that you couldn't know about a person, in this, you know, this case, this guy John, all those, all, those, all those years ago, and that was a sign and a wonder to him. But the bigger picture is that the Holy Spirit communicates deep revelation of who God is. And he communicates revelation according to the scriptures. And so actually the, to read the Bible without the power of the Holy Spirit is a disaster. This is why our universities are full of very liberal theology. Because there are theologians who know all about God, but they don't know God personally. The Bible is the book of the church. The theologian Karl Barth was very clear on this. The Bible is the book of the church. And it can only be truly read uh, in the community of faith, which is the church, because we have the Holy Spirit who gives us revelation of what the, what the Spirit says according to the Scriptures, which is why the Bible make, it doesn't make sense to those who are non-believers, to those who do not have the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is key to revelation, knowing God more fully. And that's according to the Scriptures. It's also about prophetic gifts, revelatory gifts as well. The Holy Spirit is the key to revelation. So we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit that we might know God more. Um, okay, um, penultimately, the Holy Spirit is also the path to true spiritual power. And so what, sometimes when we see spiritual power um, manifest, uh, sometimes when maybe in books that we read and we think, gosh, that's spiritual power or, or people that we, uh, we, we hear speak sometimes, we think I want, I want that. So um, I, I preached at Bristol on Sunday night, and I shared one or two stories of, of people who'd come to faith. And afterwards, this, this guy in his 30s came up to me, and he just said to me, I want what you've got, he, he said. And I, I was a bit taken aback, and he said, I want to come and see you. He said, I, I, he's, contacted, he's contacted my PA, actually, hasn't he, Sue? In, in terms of, do you remember that guy? He just contacted said, right, I want to see this guy. And he's, and he's also saying... Uh, if I'm going to come all the way to Oxford to see you, I want some decent time, not just half an hour. He's being a little bit pushy. I want some decent time. Anyway, this guy's saying, I want what, you, what you've got. Anyway, when I meet him, I'm going to meet him. I'm going to say to him, the, spa, the path to spiritual power you know, can be quite a long route. Um, so I was talking to uh, somebody just the other day who was a Satanist. This person's 25 years of age, and she said to me she was a Satanist 
uh, for three years, uh, she said. And uh, she said uh, she, she gave up, she said, being a Satanist because she didn't see dark spiritual power. She was hoping to see dark spiritual power, and she didn't see it. And anyway, I, was, I, I, I said to her, I was a little bit surprised because I said often that the enemy is, the devil is, only too keen sometimes to reveal the dark, the dark side to people. The access to his spiritual power is often sin. And so actually, it's a lot easier to access the dark spiritual power than it is to exercise true, authentic, Holy Ghost spiritual power, which is the stuff of the kingdom, which is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be given to you as well. So, so the, the key to true spiritual power is to do with, with prayer, it's to do with seeking God in holiness, it's to do with dependency upon him. It's a, it's a longer route very often. But what is the key to true spiritual power? Well, here it is, I believe, verse 2. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So if you and I want to access spiritual power, our resolution needs not to be the search for spiritual power in and of itself, but he who is the key to spiritual power, namely Jesus Christ, the King of the kingdom. And this was Paul's resolution. I resolved to know nothing, he said, while I was with you. He says, accept Jesus Christ and him crucified. Do you and I seek to know the risen Lord? That's it, essentially. Are, are we, we want spiritual power in our lives? Well, are, are, if, if, we, if we want the, the long road, and it often is a long road to genuine spiritual power, it's having this Pauline resolution to know the crucified risen Lord Jesus. And, uh, and that's what we need to do. So there are churches all around us, I'm afraid, that were founded uh, as revival movements, but now seemingly are no longer revival uh, movements. As you probably know, John Wesley is one of uh, my heroes. The house that I live in, in Whitney, is called Wesley House. And Wesley once said this about the revival movement that he himself uh, founded when he was ministering. He said, my fear is that our people will become content to live without the fire, the power, the excitement, the supernatural element that makes us great. And sadly, by and large, Wesley's prediction or his fear has been realized. Uh, let us not be content to live without um, this spiritual power. Some of you might know who this person is, Heidi Baker. She does uh, an apostolic work um, uh, in, in uh, uh, which nation is it? It's which nation in Africa? It's Mozambique. Thank you. I just forgot. She does a, an apostolic work in Mozambique. But actually, she's she's got a, uh, similar to our own Donna in many ways. I think. I think Donna's doing doing an incredible work, isn't she, in Burundi? But anyway, this lady, she's done an amazing uh, apostolic work uh, in in Mozambique uh, with her husband Roland, and she's she's planted many churches with with her husband Roland. They've seen many people come to faith in Christ, they see the supernatural, they see the miraculous. And a few years ago, a friend of, a friend of mine, actually, uh, she wouldn't mind me mentioning her name here, and she'd be known to some people here, called Ruth Haslam. Uh, Ruth, Ruth's uh, husband, Greg, was the pastor, he's with the Lord now, but he was the pastor of Westminster Chapel. And Ruth Haslam, uh, she told me that she was at some kind of dinner and uh, she was sat opposite someone who she didn't know. She didn't recognize this person at all. But as she sat opposite, so they were just literally sat down to eat at this church function in London. And she said there was such a spiritual power coming off the lady opposite that Ruth just began to cry. She, it was almost like she felt the power of God bounce from this lady who she didn't recognize onto her. And she just began to weep. 
And she was embarrassed, and she said to the lady opposite, she said, oh, I'm so sorry, she said, because she was cry crying for no reason. She said, I'm so sorry. She said, you know, this doesn't happen, you know, I don't know why this is happening. And uh, the lady opposite, she said to me, oh, don't worry, my dear, this, this happens to me quite a bit. And, and it was Heidi Baker. It was, it was Heidi Baker. Now, if she didn't know who she was, you know, this, this, I put it to you, this lady, it seems, it seems that she moves in extraordinary spiritual power. Well, what's the key to spiritual power? The key to spiritual power is knowing the risen Lord Jesus. Okay, the, the Spirit brings the future into the present. Paul says this. He says, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. We declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and God destined for our glory before time. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, it is written. Now, in this prophecy, Paul speaks about the consummation of the kingdom. In other words, when we're in heaven, because we know when we're in heaven, don't we, the perfect will have arrived. Uh, there is no vestige of the fall in heaven. And so that's why there'll be no more sickness, no more dying, no more death. And that beautiful verse, he, the Lord Jesus, will wipe every tear from their eye. And Paul says this, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. And these are the things that God has revealed to us by his spirit. And so you see, the spirit brings the future into the present. If any of you, if any of you want to read a book, uh, a little, it's, it's actually um, a, little bit, a little bit academic, but um, you, might, you might find it interesting. It's, it's called The Presence of the Future by this guy, George Eldon Ladd, who died in 1982. And what Eldon Ladd talks about is, is that the kingdom, the essence of the kingdom of God, uh, brings the future perfect world order into the imperfect present. That's what he talks about. Here it is in, in diagrammatic form. Uh, basically, what, 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 he, what Eldon Ladd talks about is this age. So this is the age that we're in, the, the, the age that we live in. And at some point, the cross happened. Can you see uh, that God became man in Jesus Christ, and he died and he rose again, the resurrection of Christ. And the resurrection of Christ takes us to the parousia. The parousia is the return of Jesus. And so we are, we are in between line one, uh, the, 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 the resurrection of Jesus Christ, his exaltation to the Father, and the parousia, the second coming. And at the parousia, the age to come will come, which it says in the creed, doesn't it, that uh, uh, he will come in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end, it says in the Nicene Creed. That's the age to come. So right now, we're leave, we're, we are living between line one and line two. And sometimes the age that we live in is called the age of the kingdom. It's sometimes called the age of the church, the church age, and it's sometimes called the age of the spirit. So you and I are living in the age of the spirit. We're living between, uh, we're living between the now and the not yet. So the kingdom is not fully realized. It will be when Jesus returns to establish his kingdom forever. Uh, but the kingdom has been inaugurated because Jesus Christ arrived on the scene 2,000 years ago and he said the kingdom of God is here. And so what we pray for is an inbreaking of the future perfect world order into the imperfect present. And that's what the Holy Spirit uh, does. And do we see these things all the time? No, we don't. Do we see these things sometimes? Yes, we do. Why do we see them sometimes and not others? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, we live between miracle and mystery. Let me finish just by 
Uh, one, one final story. Tammy and I, we went on a, a holiday with the kids. We got a cheap cruise uh, about four weeks ago. We flew into Malta. And Tammy banned me from doing any evangelism for the week. So on the cruise ship, they had, two, they had two formal dinners where you wore black tie. Now, as you probably know, when you wear black tie, military dress or clerical dress is acceptable as black tie. So I was going to pack a, a vicar's collar. To, and she said, no, you're not. You're not going to do that because it's good. It's good. And so, okay. Then I had with me a, a cross, and I, I had it on the ship, the cruise ship. And she told me not to wear the cross for dinner. She said, get that cross off. And uh, anyway, so, so I know I know she didn't want me to be evangelizing. Anyway, we, we, were, we went to dinner one night, and we sat uh, with these people here. And so there were two other couples. There was Josie, this woman on the right, and her husband, who were from the north of England. And there were two sisters. Across the table, there were two sisters. So we sat down for dinner. Within a few minutes, the conversation went like this. You know, where are you from? Of course. What do you do for a living? When we got to what do you do for a living, I said, I'm a lecturer. And Tammy looked, no, Tammy smiled in a kind of mm, satisfied way. Good, good, yeah, yeah, he's, he's a lecturer, yeah, which of course is true. And then, of course, she said, well, what do you lecture? And I said, theology. And then she said, are you a vicar? And obviously, all, you, don't, you don't have to be a vicar to lecture theology. Anyway, Tammy was talking to these two ladies to her left, these sisters, and I got talking to Josie. And I said to Josie, are you enjoying the cruise? And she said, no. And I said, why not? And she said, uh, I've got bad arthritis. We mentioned about dodgy knees. I've got bad arthritis in my right knee. And then she, uh, she said, it's so bad, I'm in pain now. She said, I can't go down the gangplank. You know, you've got to go down the gangplank to get off the cruise ship to see the thing. So she said, I can't get off the gangplank. So I said, look, can I, I pray for you? And she said, yes. And as I prayed, instantly the pain went. She was in pain there and then. The pain instantly went. Josie got up from the table and she started moving around saying, the pain's gone, the pain's gone. She was walking around the table and she was started doing a little dance and saying, the pain's gone. At this point, the lady opposite on the right, the, the, the old lady on the right, she said, pray for me, pray for me, she said. <laughs> but I was talking to Josie, and uh, she, she carried on, pray for me. She, anyway, I talked to Josie. And so Tammy nudged me and said, pray for her, come pray for her. <laughs> so I went round, and I prayed, I prayed for the old lady and her sister. The Spirit of God touched them, and I ended up leading them both to Christ. Then I walked around the table, and Josie was so amazed that her, she was healed, that uh, she, after sharing a bit more of the gospel, she, her and her husband, they gave their lives to Christ. In fact, and then Josie was filled with the Spirit very powerfully. She was just in tears and just overcome with the Holy Spirit. Our kids were in the kind of childcare thing on the ship. And so Tammy said, come on, we've got to go and collect the kids. We've got to go and collect the kids. And uh, we, we walked off. And Tammy said, I can't believe they're all in tears. All four of them um, were, in, were, in, were in tears. And I'm so glad, I'm so glad she, she saw this because, you know, occasionally I get even vicars saying to me, oh, these stories, do you exaggerate them or spin them a bit? So I'm, I mean, it's wonderful. Tammy knows that I don't do that. But I was thrilled that she was with me on that occasion because she said it's a little bit like the Acts of the Apostles, you know, in terms of this, this encounter. God is alive today. His spirit is with us. And so let's take this, um, this exhortation just in finishing. Be filled with the spirit. Ephesians 5.18. Be filled with the spirit. So my question, my challenge for you is we're going to go into a bit of prayer ministry at the end uh, and we're wrap, wrapping up for 12. My, my, uh, my uh, challenge for you is where are you? Are you empty or full? Are you, are you running on empty? Because if you are, you don't need to be. You're as close to God as you want to be. I really do believe that. You're as close to God if you want to be. And God's normative best is for us to be filled with his spirit. We're in the age of the spirit. So where are you? Are you on full? Or maybe you're halfway. Maybe you're kind of pneumatological gauge. Your holy, your, sorry, your, a bit of a, your holy spirit gauge. Sorry, a bit of theology. Um, is, you know, maybe you're halfway. But the point is, all of us, whether we're full, whether we're empty... Uh, we can all be filled with the Holy Spirit afresh today. Look, we're going to pray now, but before we do, I want to do a prayer for anyone who's never given their life to Christ. 
And often there are people in the church who are journeying with the community. You've never given your life to Christ. You may have grown up in a Christian home, but you've never got off the piggyback and, and asked Jesus into your life for yourself. That could be you today from a, Christ, a Christian kid uh, from a Christian home. That could be you. And it's now your moment to give your life to Jesus today. It could be that you're a visitor here today. We always get, often get visitors here at Apex Church. And I want to give you an opportunity. Here's a simple prayer that I'm going to pray. It simply says this. Heavenly Father, I turn from my sin. That's everything I've said wrong, done wrong, thought wrong. Lord Jesus, I turn to you. And then it says, Holy Spirit, fill me with your presence. Amen. That's it. I'm going to read the prayer out. Pause at the end of each line. And if this is you, you want to become a Christian, a true follower of Jesus, to give your life to Christ, just make this your own prayer uh, today. Let's just bow our heads to pray. Okay, one more thing. If this is you, I'm going to invite you to do something a little bit brave. Uh, just, if you're going to pray this prayer with me, just raise your right hand just where you are if you're going to pray this prayer with me. Just raise your right hand where you are. You'll know if you should do this. And this is a kind of a brave thing to do. And I think it's good just to make a stand, just to make a stand, to say to God as an indication to God, look, I want to be a follower of Jesus. So just raise your right hand right now if this is you and you want to uh, pray to give your life to Christ. So here's the prayer then. So Heavenly Father... I turn from now from my sin. Lord Jesus, I turn to you. Holy Spirit, fill me with your presence. Amen. I'm just going to invite uh, our musicians to come forward. And we've got um, not, not long, five, five or so minutes, we're going to sing a final worship song uh, before the formal end of uh, our church service this morning, which is going to be at uh, noon, as, as, as usual. And uh, we're going to sing a worship song now. And when, when the service is, when, when we've sung this song, there's going to be just a final prayer of blessing, and we're all f- free to go, um, of course. Uh, but there's going to be an opportunity for prayer ministry uh, at the end when we've fin- fin- sung this final song. But I don't want us to wait until, let's not just wait till the formal end of the service. Come, if you want to receive prayer, there's a prayer ministry team, Ashley, um, uh, myself, Mark, and others who will be here to pray for you. We've got some anointing oil. It's not magic, of course, but it's a symbol of the Holy Spirit. So we'll be happy to pray for any, any of you. And uh, maybe particularly, um, the thing I, I think, and I, I got this sense when Mike shared his w- word, prayer for healing this morning. It could be dodgy knees. You know, we've uh, I talked about that woman getting arthritis, arthritis in her knee healed. If, if you've got a dodgy knee, come and get prayer. Um, for, for, for healing today. I think that word that the mic gave about the crack in the corner that disappeared, for me that resonated with emotional healing. It could be that there's emotional healing. We, we're, we're much more attuned, aren't we, to mental health issues these days, whether it's depression or anxiety or whatever it might be. It could be you've got some emotional or mental health type issues. And then God, get prayer that the Lord might meet you in that and bring healing uh, to you to that today. Or it could just be being filled with the Spirit. It could be that you thought, I know that I'm not I'm not filled. Maybe I'm running on empty. Not that the Holy Spirit ever leaves us. He never leaves us, I believe, as Christians. But it could be that I'm running on empty. I'm not really filled to overflowing with the Spirit. Or, and uh, and uh, so I would encourage you, come forward uh, to receive uh, and ask for prayer to receive the fullness, a, gr- a greater touch of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so let's stand uh, together and uh, let me just lead us in prayer as our musicians lead us in worship. And then come forward straight away. As I say, let's not wait till the formal end of the service. So, Father, we thank you, Lord, uh, for life in the Spirit. We thank you for this amazing passage of the Apostle Paul. Uh, Lord, we thank you that, uh, that Paul accessed the depths of heaven uh, by the Spirit. We thank you that your Holy Spirit brings a foretaste of heaven into the present. And we pray that you do that now. Holy Spirit, bring, bring, bring something of the future 
into the present right now. The kingdom of God manifest in this place. And, uh, and we thank you, Lord, for revelation that you speak to us and you, you speak to us through the scriptures. But you give us words of knowledge and revelatory words as well. And we thank you for that. And we welcome that. And Lord, unlike the dark side, we recognize that uh, the key to spiritual power, uh, Lord, is through Jesus. It's through a long obedience in the same direction, as Eugene Peterson once said, following Jesus. And, uh, and so may, we, may it be our resolve, just like the Apostle Paul, that I resolve to know nothing except uh, Jesus Christ and him crucified. Jesus, we long to know you, the crucified, risen Lord. We long to know you in the power of your Holy Spirit. We, we long to know you in intimacy. So come, Holy Spirit, we pray. Touch us, we pray. Fill us afresh, we pray, to overflowing, uh, that we might see your kingdom come, your will be done in our midst, in this church, in the town of cows, in this island, uh, in, in the United Kingdom. Uh, we, we pray uh, for Jesus' sake. Amen.